0: Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 124 with my friend Rainy Shea. This episode is fantastic. I did such minimal editing on this uh, because I didn't want to cut out anything. Rainy talks about uh, growing up as a Mormon and then leaving the Mormon church and uh, having a relationship with a trans person when she was younger and uh, just all of the intricacies involved with being a Mormon and, and having a, uh, a queer relationship and the different dependencies that she like just really dove in, uh, Rainy has done the work. It's very obvious. And, and I think this was just such a great episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to hold you back any longer. I want to get to it and wait till you find out how I know Rainy, because that's that's one of the funniest parts. All right. So without further ado, here's my friend Rainy Shea. You
1: and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be
2: my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Yeah. All right. Hi. Hi. This mic seems to work pretty well when I'm going live.
0: Yeah. No, you sound great.
2: Sweet. Yeah, awesome. you
0: sound good. I'm trying a, a new setup myself. So yeah, I say, this I, is I,
2: different from where I saw you last time.
0: Yeah, last time's just facing that way. <laughs> oh. I usually start out with how I know people. Mm. And and I know you. I mean, I I guess I don't know you. <laughs> We met cause I was on an Instagram account called I am 30 AF uh, and featured person looking for friends. I forget what they call it, but you're one of the people that reached out to me. Um, and I got, I got the weirdest messages from people all over the country and, and I was, I was Thank happy you. to see, like you said you were a relationship coach and your husband was a therapist and I was like, well, this is right up my alley. Um. So I was very excited about that. And then we got a chance to meet and talk via Zoom. And here we are. Um, so I guess we can, I want to learn everything I mean, as much as I can in an hour. So we'll see how that pans out. But, um, let's go back in time. And you're born. ta Yeah. Okay. Um, are you? I'm, I'm born. Are, do you, are you born in Montana? No, you, no, Idaho. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah. I got it. yes i'm impressed i'm impressed born in idaho
0: um siblings
2: i am the oldest of three i have two younger brothers
0: oh what's the age difference there
2: um the one below me is two and a half years and then the last one is five years younger than me so we're pretty pretty succinct
0: (laughs) okay pretty evenly split up there um
2: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) so what's your do you remember your brothers being born may maybe your youngest
2: you know what i remember going to the hospital to see my youngest brother but all i remember about it well actually no it wouldn't have been him it must have been the one in the middle because it was winter when he was born and i remember the boots i was wearing so oh, i was like funny. two and a half yeah. and i remember i had these blue boots and i remember walking in the hospital and i remember thinking that the building was huge and like being so impressed with these bright lights and these this huge building and being really enamored with the sound that my boots were making as we walked down the tile floor, like clomp, clomp, clomp. But that's all I remember about them. So obviously I was two and a half, I was way more into my boots than my brother because I don't remember him.
0: <laughs> and suddenly you were an only child no more. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So tell me about that dynamic with your siblings growing up is it when you're when you're little
2: um i don't know they just they were there though the boys we always call them the boys right like because there's two of them and it was just me and um like when i think about when i was really really little like that middle brother he drove me crazy because i would want to play with him and like i would want him to play dollhouse or barbies with me and he would always come in with his dinosaurs and monsters and wreck everything and I was really uptight about how I wanted it to be you know and I wanted it to be perfect and he was la ah. and then um then as we got older it just I don't know they were just the boys they they themselves had a very volatile relationship like they were either best friends or mortal enemies and I was just the only girl doing my own thing you know
0: did it still feel like you were an only child because you were the only girl? Like, did you? Do you think no, you got? No, definitely not. No, okay. <laughs>
2: definitely not an only child. But I did like when I was really young. I wanted a sister so bad. Like, it just sounded so fun. But then by the time I got to be a teenager, I realized like there are some real perks to being the only girl in a household. Like, and I didn't want a sister anymore because things like. Um, we would go camping all the time growing up and eventually I got to have the we had a big fifth wheel trailer and I got to have the table the only you know that could only bed me and the boys had to share the pull-out couch uh-huh. and I didn't have to share it with them oh yeah because I was but... the only girl and so like or I always had my own room yeah because I was the only girl and for a while they had to share a room and so there were definite perks to that. Mm-hmm. And then I also grew up in a very like 1950s style house, not the architecture, like the, the, um, the way of oh, structure. The way of life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And got so it. the boys had to go outside. I grew up on a small hobby farm, 14 acres in out in East Idaho, and the boys had to go outside and work with dad. And I got to stay inside and clean the house with mom. But I always got done way faster than them. So I was always just like, yeah, being the only girl is sweet. That's what's, awesome. What's a hobby farm? Oh, meaning that um, my parents just did it because they loved it. Like the farm was just a hobby for them. They both grew up on farms
1: okay. and
2: or branches and then, but they're not, it was a hobby for them. Meaning my dad is a chemist scientist nuclear engineer oh okay. and my mom is a nurse so okay. they both worked in those fields but we also had the farm but it was just a hobby right what so did that look like horses and cows and um, crops and uh 4-h animals sometimes that's dogs, busy cats, that's stuff. a busy hobby <laughs> yes it is, what, it's so, really busy.
0: What does that look like as far as like their presence because of those jobs? Um, once you, especially I guess, once you are the oldest and able to look after the, the boys.
2: Yeah, so my dad actually, both of my parents are like the hardest working people I know. Yeah. So hard working. And my dad actually got up really, really early every morning. Because he worked um, in Idaho, it's called. People just refer to it as the site, but it's so, um, so ominous. I know <laughs> the site. It's it's a it's a government uh, it's a government site. It's they test. I don't know. They do a bunch of secretive stuff out there. Honestly, well, that's that why it's I called the no site. I guess. What they're yeah. Really doing like yeah, I know they're testing nuclear stuff and whatever, but it's out in the desert it a little bit a ways away and so my dad had to get up super early go out and feed the animals and then leave for work and he was always gone by like 6 a.m so when I woke up he wasn't there by that time he had to leave and drive really far to get to his work and then um, but my mom was there my mom would be home and she would get us off to school and I was really lucky because we were the bus would pick us up last and then drop us off first in the afternoon. So I didn't have to ride the bus for very long, which was super nice. And then my mom only worked part-time. So she really, really put a premium on being home when we were home That's nice. and she did have to work, um, Like, I have plenty of memories of her going to work, and she did all kinds of different nursing things over the years. Like, any kind of nursing job you can think of, she probably did it for a little while. Okay. So she wasn't at, like, one
0: place for
2: the whole time? No. Like, she was was a school nurse, and she did home health, and she worked at the hospital, and she, I mean, she did all kinds of stuff. She worked in the ER, and then she was at a surgical center. And, you know, like, she just all kinds of nursing um but she never well I shouldn't say never but rarely very very rarely was I ever asked to watch the boys okay because and I really think that it was just because they thought I couldn't handle it (laughs) (laughs) and then also my mom really believed in like being there with us
1: yeah
0: you
2: know that that was her and she always said to us I'm a mom first and a nurse second
0: do you think that so, was I mean I'm assuming you know your mother's parents do you think that was just something that was instilled in her through her own family or
2: uh, yes and no I mean my grandma was actually a nurse too but she was mostly my mom's mom but she was mostly I think she was mostly home all the time and then um, my grandpa, Worked as a farrier, like um, shoeing horses. Oh, okay. Uh huh. And then he also worked at like a factory that's called Simplot. It's a big, big factory. But that that in, like idea
0: country. of family values and putting family before everything um, else.
2: Oh yes, for sure. But also, it comes from we grew up Mormon. And yes. Mormons are all about family. So, so that, we touched on that. That is a huge, huge thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge thing. So I think it came from her parents, but also it just straight came from this is what life is about. For Mormons, life is all about family. And not just this life. The next life, too. Yeah. Everything. Let's it's dive into started.
0: that a little because I'm curious. At what point do you like? Do you know? Is it generational? Like your grandparents were also Mormons and so on? or?
2: Oh, yeah. My Mormon uh, roots go very, very deep. Okay. So um, Mormonism was founded in like the early 1800s, 1830s.
1: Okay.
2: And um, my, on all four sides, like, you know, grandparents and on both sides, going up, I've got Mormons seven, nine generations deep. Wow. Like I've actually done some research and I have a mainline ancestors so like my parents 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 right like not not curving off into aunts and uncles yeah yeah. only going straight up the line that was actually um converted by joseph smith himself like joseph smith went on a mission to canada and met my ancestor converted them and they moved down to the united states to follow this mormon movement so it's generational and very very deep in my so family
0: this was uh, this was news to me when you said idaho because i always when i like, think most people probably think of mormons they think of utah salt lake city how mm-hmm. is that what can you explain that demographic that geography to me like uh has that always yeah, been a it, thing or or is that
2: yeah there's actually so mormons are just especially back in the day um there's a lot of them right there so yeah they went to utah and they're in Utah mostly, but then they started to send out like satellite groups to um, settle different areas. So you'll find a lot of Mormons in um, Southern Idaho, which okay. is just north of Utah. Yeah, yeah. The lots of Mormons. Like where satellite I grew, didn't people... go that far. <laughs> no, 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 but um, I grew up in East Idaho and it's like, especially back when I was there, it was like 98% Mormon. Like everybody I knew was Mormon is very very mormon and then you'll also find a lot of mormons in arizona they sent some people down that way too Mm -hmm. like so people do mostly think of utah because that's where and that's the church's the mainstream church's headquarters is in utah but there's a significant population in idaho too
0: so i guess broadly speaking because uh, i do i, I do want to like dive into specific stuff um if we can but like broadly speaking when you think about your childhood like not even into teenage years yet but like reflecting back how mm-hmm. is that shaped by your religion
2: completely and totally completely and totally i grew up my my parents were and still are i this is not really a, a phrase that mormons use but i say that they're very orthodox which um, to me just means like, they were, were and are true believing Mormons to the core. Yeah, the my childhood, yes, by the book, and my childhood was completely shaped around Mormonism. Everything in a Mormon's life centers around the church. Everything you do, everything you think, everything you watch, wear, all week long, yeah. And for my parents it was like the the church's standards were their standards. Hands down. So it was very I call it a it was like a Norman Rockwell childhood with a Mormon twist. You know, like it was very very um idyllic, you yeah. know, I lived on this little farm and my mom was home as much as she possibly could be with us. Like we had dinner as a family, she cooked it, had the dinner on the table when my dad came in the door at 6 p.m. every night, like, and so dad came home and we ate together and we went to church together and we had family prayer twice a day, scripture study every day, like very, very idyllic and very centered around the church. Do
0: you find anything I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this? Uh, do you feel, and again, this, I'm I think we could probably Spend three hours just talking about like your teenage years and and that aspect, but prior to that, though, is there anything when you look back that you feel you were stunted on because of that, like development-wise um, as a or child? anything? Yeah,
2: as a as a child or later, as a child. Um, I started. I started, like, really not liking myself as a kid. Okay. That started really early. So, as a kid, like when I look at like experiences that most people have, I feel like I had a really normal childhood because I wasn't in a branch of Mormonism that was openly or even secretly practicing polygamy at that time. You know, so it's like there yeah. wasn't experiences like that that were out of the norm, but like developmentally, I I was developing really intense perfectionism and a lot of self-hate, a lot of self-hate. I actually have journals. I kept a journal since I was eight years old wow. and yeah, continuous. And I always joke that it was the only thing at Mormonism that I was really good at
1: <laughs> because
2: Mormons are encouraged <laughs> to keep journals and boy, was I good at that one. But um, my negative self-talk and, and, just self-hate and intense feelings. I started writing negative things about myself when I was 10. So
0: you credit that to the church early. Say that again. you credit that to like the church to the religion
2: Um mostly yeah. okay. yeah. I feel like I mean, it's hard to say because I've actually I've listened to I love people. I love people's stories. Yeah. I'm just it's so interesting. and I've listened to lots of podcasts with people's stories. And it's shown that, you know, like oldest children are prone to this type of uh, perfectionist yeah. tendencies. And so I don't know that it's fair to say, oh, it's all the church's fault. Like yeah. I am an oldest child. I do have all those tendencies, but I do feel like it was absolutely like exacerbated by the environment in the church and the church part of their goal, part of what they talk to and teach their adherents, is that your job here on earth is to try to be as perfect as you possibly can. Like that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I was raised in a home where the church's rule was our rule. And so it was like, I just saw it as like, this is what my parents want. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what God wants. Like there was no, there was if the church said it, we did it. It's pretty high standard to live up to. <laughs> it. Yeah, it's it's really really tough, but it's not like my parents ever sat me down and were like, "You have to be perfect." Yeah. But when you go to church every single week and your whole life is, this is the environment I was cooked in, <laughs> essentially. You know, like, yeah. and that's the message: is do better, be better, always, 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 always.
0: And you said so it, that, pretty, that it was like pretty intense. 98% Mormon where you grew up. Mm-hmm. So you didn't yep. even really have experience outside of that even like in school or anything.
2: No, not at all. And I I mean eventually I ended up going to a church college. So and then I didn't move to Montana until I'd been married for several years and had two kids. Like I've I never experienced living outside the Mormon bubble. Yeah. Until much later in life.
0: What does that look like? Uh, I mean, and not necessarily just like religion, but teenage years. You know, those developmentally terrible years where we, where we, uh, you know, act strange and and our bodies change and our minds change and our what's what's that like for you in that environment and and just generally speaking?
2: There wasn't when you're when you're dating. So the rules, especially back then. Um, was you're not supposed to date until you're 16. That's a rule for Mormon teenagers. Okay. And so there was a lot of angst around that, I guess. Like, I feel like that's
0: some, like, that doesn't sound crazy to me.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, 16 is a, it's a good age, it's yeah. a good age, but it was like, it was i don't know it was basically like for me with mormonism most of everybody was mormon and so it was just normal like everybody had these rules yeah but i did find myself like a couple times being attracted to different guys who like literally both of them were catholic so it's like the the only catholics must have been the only catholic boys around And I was so, like, torn up about that. Like, that was a big deal. I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, because you're not supposed to date outside the church and all that stuff. But um, a big major thing that happened in my uh, teenagehood, right, is I became involved with um, a trans guy. Oh, okay so um that was like a whole other thing that i literally we could go on a wild tangent well about i'm
0: curious, i have a lot of questions about that and maybe some you expect maybe some you don't but i mean first and foremost how do you find a trans man in the mormon community because that feels like it's counterintuitive
2: <laughs> i know don't you feel bad for him because <laughs> that's that's awful. That's really hard. Um, it just happened. It just happened to happen. So most of my teenagehood was um, just sucked up into this particular event in my life. But if you go back, the the trans guy, so I have to say as like a disclaimer, um, he is trans, been trans his for as long as I knew him. Yeah but had not come out as trans yet, right? Okay. Was still living as a female. So when I talk about it in the past, I'll often switch into she pronouns because I talk about it from my perspective. Yeah. And from my perspective in how this soul was living at the time, it was she pronouns. But then if I mention um, eventually he does come out, and if I mention like things that happened between us later after that transition, then I switch to he pronouns, which just makes the flow of story make more sense. Yeah, I get that. Um, so, but how you end up finding someone like that is that that's just happens to be where this person lived. Like yeah. I went to elementary school with this person and they went to church with me raised okay. in, and then happened to be in the same, like Mormons, They call their congregations wards and you don't it's not like in Christian church you get to just go pick like find a church you like right like Mormonism is not like that you don't get to pick what congregation you're a part of they assign it based on geography so I just happened to be in this person's ward in this person's congregation and I went to this little tiny country elementary school where this person was so that's how we met and um so were you guys just friends friends? yeah okay yeah Yeah. became friends eventually because there actually wasn't very many girls in my age group um in the church going to church with me
1: yeah
2: which was hard and a little bit awkward later but um it's like how do you shorten something that's so epic (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm like struggling with but yeah so we became friends and then what made it difficult is I didn't really see us ever as dating. And okay. and so it was like this relationship developed and it was really psychologically abusive to me because I knew that she had a crush on me. I knew that she liked me, but I didn't have any other friends. I was yeah. bullied in elementary school. I was... Um, bullied in middle school I was bullied in high school Like so I didn't have anybody else this person's in my church you know and we're friends and I I didn't want to hurt her feelings and I didn't want her to think that I thought she was weird or crazy or that I thought any less of her because yeah. of who she was. And you didn't and want so to lose I, the friendship either, I imagine. Yeah, and I didn't want to lose the friendship. And I totally knew that, like in my mind, it was like, and you get into dicey political territory here when it's like, is she a guy? Is she not a guy? She believes she's a guy. She's whatever. That aside, whatever you think now, I'm speaking about where I was in, gosh, what was this? The early 2000s? okay you know so let's talk culturally this is my thinking and i'm raised in a mormon environment which is completely against homosexuality it's literally taught that it's the third worst sin you can ever commit
0: behind what and
2: uh behind murder and behind denying the holy ghost so yeah next to murder it's called the sin next to murder it's pretty intense um and then transgenderism It's not even a thing that people know about or talk about, right? Like people are just barely talking about homosexuality. They're not even talking about transgenderism. So there was no, I didn't know a name. I just knew here's my friend, so-and-so, and she believes that she was born in the wrong body. She believes that she is actually a boy. That's it. And I don't care. For me, it was like, I don't care. You're a person I like. Yeah. You're my friend. But I was not physically attracted to her. Like, it wasn't like that. But we just developed that relationship. And honestly, it's, it's like, I'm sure people know about it. It's like, who doesn't have a story of some... Either somebody that you dated and then you tried to get out of it, but you kept falling back into it because you can't be friends after you date. Like, who doesn't have that story? Yeah. It's the exact same type of thing. Like, and I just, I remember just kind of being like, I don't, I don't want to reject you, but it made me super, super uncomfortable. And anytime something would happen, like after she kissed me for the first time, and I was like, okay, that was kind of weird because. I expected it to feel different. I'd already had a boyfriend. I'd already been kissed. I expected it to feel different physically because I was literally taught that it was almost as bad as murder for a girl to kiss a girl.
1: Yeah.
2: And it didn't, it didn't feel different. What's going
0: on in the realm of shame during all that? Oh,
2: yeah. Like, um, it was a complete secret. It was, and it blew my mind and I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. You know, so I would always come back and be like, we can't do this. You know, like instead of saying anything in the moment, I'd be like, come back later and be like, okay, well, you know, this is wrong. We can't do this. We're not supposed to do this. Let's not do this anymore. And I would try to, like, pull back. Right. And so I never saw us as dating, but I found out later as an adult that she did see it that way. But, yeah, I was completely ashamed. I didn't know what to think. I was so confused, like um, I'm not attracted to this person, but I do love this person. I don't want to hurt this person, It does, but it doesn't feel different like physically. And so if it's really this terrible, terrible thing, what is happening? And then of course I was so embarrassed, so ashamed, did not tell my parents at all, didn't tell anybody. Did other
0: Did other people know? school like people in school or anything
2: well so that's kind of funny i transferred high schools in the middle like i went out to this country high school um and then after my sophomore year i decided to transfer to a high school that was like 15 20 minutes away that was more in the town um and she had already transferred ahead of me so there was lots of reasons for me transferring high schools but part of it was like oh i have no friends here and i have this one friend here and then I also had like kind of a scary boyfriend and um, I wanted to get out and away from that as well. Okay. And so I actually started skipping school my sophomore year to and I was such a nerd and I would skip school and go into the high school in town <laughs> and go to school there like un, un, you know unregistered. And but what I didn't realize that happened, because I was doing that because I was going to school with her was that the high school kids there, I, I got a reputation for being so-and-so's blonde girlfriend before I'd even transferred high schools.
1: Right.
2: And so it was like, I think anybody who looked at us would have been like, there's something going on there because something odd, something off. Right. Because I was like super girly. Yeah and she was super mask and so it was like anybody's gonna know what's happening but it wasn't like oh everybody knows but then once I get to this high school I start to go to school there and I get rejected and bullied and people treating me terrible because they think that I'm homosexual which at the time I was just like I don't know what's going on I know I'm not I'm still attracted to boys and I had it. And that's the other thing is I had a plethora of boyfriends. Like yeah. I went through boys and had boyfriends. And so it was this really bad dynamic. Like, and I feel bad for this other person. Like,
0: well, I think we've learned too. Like it's such a spectrum, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's,
2: yes, it is. Uh, it's not black or white. It and is it's, such a spectrum.
0: And when you hear your environment like when you talk about the church or somebody putting it in the terms of black and white like I imagine that just adds another layer of like you essentially you have to choose you're this or you're not and it's like well, yeah hold on. yeah and
2: so it was just it was so it was like people nobody people were it was whispered about and people treated me poorly and said some really crappy things to me and um bullied me over it yeah But I was just kind of like, but it was also the transgender piece of it was also a secret. So I was like, well, I'm protecting this person. Like you guys don't know that there's actually more to it. And then you add, and I say it was a psychologically abusive relationship because um, she was lying to me about some pretty severe mental health things. And so like I would try to pull away and then she would be like, she told me that she had been diagnosed with, um, oh, what's the word? It's schizoaffective. That's okay. what it is. So she like primed me to believe that she needed me to be able to tell what was real and what was not real in the world. Yeah. And she primed me with all these stories of super traumatic, gory, often, horrible Hallucinations that would happen. And it was like, but also not just big ones, little ones. Like, we'd be out and about, and she'd be like, Do you see that person like jogging along the side of the road right now? And I'd be like, No. Be like, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So that was this world I was living in, is where I was like super ashamed, super, what the heck is happening? Also, here's my friend who I believe absolutely needs me, and every time I try to pull away, and say things like "We can't do this," whatever, like, and I was I completely trusted her. I was completely immersed in this life and this world with her, where it was like she's got this schizophrenia stuff, and she can't tell what's real, and she needs me. Life is scary for her, like. I wrote that, I wrote about that in my journal, like, how could I possibly back away? How could I possibly say no to anything that she wants when that would hurt her and she can't even tell what's real. And she would talk about night terrors and these monsters that were like Dementors from Harry Potter that she would see and like all this stuff. Have you, Um,
0: have you ever, and I
2: completely believed it.
0: Yeah. Have you ever thought or unpacked where that um. the I, I I'm struggling to find the word where you found like you you needed to be the savior of her, where you where why you felt that way, like what role you had oh, at a I young age. Why.
2: Okay. Oh, I know why. I absolutely know why. Uh, because I was bullied. Because I had no friends. Yeah. As an elementary schooler, I was bullied pretty severely. Like kids used to throw rocks at me. Like. And I remember making a promise to myself that if somebody needed a friend, I would never not be their friend. Got it.
0: So you were essentially protecting yourself by protecting other people.
2: Well, it was like, how could I possibly leave this person alone? Yeah. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to be lonely. And I promised myself I would never do that. I promised myself I would never ever not be there for someone who needed me. And this person needs me in a huge way. Can't even tell what's real and what's not real.
1: Yeah.
2: And then also I was isolated with her, you know, cause I just didn't really have a lot of friends, but it got really. Um, and of course, looking back, I'm like, it makes perfect sense. Like she was living in the Mormon world, experiencing this and like living in this body and living in this culture yeah. she was also alone like of course she didn't want me to be to pull away and so she made the choice to lie to me she made the choice to make up this diagnosis to do anything to keep me close to avoid being alone so we were just locked
3: how locked long in a
2: really bad bad situation
0: excuse me um how long are you guys together um, or in that situation i don't want
2: to yeah yeah no it started it, i feel like it got um out of hand it started at like 15 okay. but i was friends with this person for much longer than that yeah but it like developed into this quasi romantic but mental health savior thing and that was pretty strongly locked together for a year and then it ended up getting scary though because um, I, I mean, I was just sinking in shame and sinking in, um, depression, major depression and, um, so much guilt. Cause I'm like, I am a terrible person. I am next to a murderer. <laughs> I am, you know, I'm awful. And, um, so I started to pull away and she would just get the stories would get more and more desperate and whatever. And then eventually, but then people, um, like people at the high school that I was going to were saying things that were, you know, calling me a dyke and like uh, saying that they wouldn't go out with me, can't go out with that homo girl and just uh, tormenting me. And she felt really bad. And, but then she started talking about killing me. And this was somebody who had told me that she'd gotten in trouble for writing an essay about killing her mom. So, and then I also believed that she didn't really know what was real and what was not real and would have this whatever but then she started talking about like feeling so bad that people were awful to me and knew that I was super depressed and was like it's all my fault that you feel this way if if you were dead then you wouldn't feel that way and started like talking that way and like leaving me notes in my locker sending me emails. And so it started to get scary. And I was in this place where I was like, um, I don't really think that she'd kill me, but it's possible. Like (laughs) I totally believed it was possible. And like, she even told me how she'd do it and where she'd put my body. That's
0: really scary.
2: And, and so I got scared enough. Um, well actually I didn't tell my parents, but my, she sent me this email and my mom came down the stairs and was standing behind me, reading it over my shoulder. And Uh I didn't realize and so my mom didn't didn't know about, like, the romantic sexual side of the relationship. But yeah. then she suddenly is like, she's like, what is she talking about? Like, and of course, I like, like, ah, mom, like, you're right there. Like, and so then my mom was like, you cannot talk to this person anymore, which was a huge reason why I had never reached my out to my parents for help or told them. Because I was super ashamed, but also I knew that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. Because they'd be like, you can't talk to her anymore. And then I'd be alone. So, but then it got scary enough. She's like, you cannot talk to her anymore. But we both still go to the Mormon church. And there's only three girls in the class. And so, and because it's Mormonism, you don't get a choice. Like, you can't just suddenly go to a different time different congregation so then it just was awful and awkward for oh I don't know maybe like a whole year even yeah probably a whole year of us going and literally they told the leadership that we just couldn't talk anymore and and we had to stay away from each other so the poor one girl who's left with me and her like suddenly they go to church and they're like you have to sit between these two every week she was probably so like funny. what what is happening what but yeah so i would sit and so we didn't talk you know and then but i felt so guilty i felt awful
3: yeah.
2: for abandoning her and so then it's like over and over again i would reach out and be like i'm sorry let's be friends and then things would start to get scary or intense again with these stories and so then i would pull back and that happened all through college where, okay, I would, wow. where i would reach out and then pull back and be like sorry i can't talk to you anymore reach out pull back and vice versa so it went on a long time
3: oh yeah february is the month of love and if you like if you like them tall and you like them round and a little bitter then may I recommend Intentional IPA, a non-alcoholic IPA from Being Brewing. That's right, you can have all that bitter taste of happiness in your mouth without any of the dirty alcohol. So head on over to wellbeingbrewing.com slash Friend request and you're gonna save a ten percent on your order of that tall, round, sixteen ounce can of deliciousness. So head over there now, wellbeingbrewing.com slash friend request.
0: What's the intersectionality with starting to like question and research the church like we talked about in our Or other Mm -hmm.
2: Um I started so like I said when I was a kid I started really hating myself and the first time I wrote down a question about an answer I'd been given about the church in my journal was when I was 13 so when I was 13 I just started to um, look at these answers that I was given about the way things work you know and go well that doesn't make sense to me I don't really like that the first thing that I questioned was um, Mormons believe that you get married for eternity in the temple so you're married forever and then you have these family bonds forever but then I asked like well what about people who aren't Mormon are they married forever and they were like no they're not and I was like okay and they're like well they get a chance to be Mormon and I was like but what if they just don't believe that some 14 year old kids saw God? What if they just don't believe that, but they're still love each other and they're still like married and and good to each other and good people, like is God gonna separate them just because they didn't believe that? And the answer was, well, yeah. And as a 13 year old little romantic, uh, (laughs) like I was totally boy crazy, that was awful like I was like what that's terrible like so that was the very first thing and then with this stuff that happened with this person and I was like whoa what's going on with this like this doesn't make sense i and bless my parents hearts like because they I was so depressed and they sent me to a counselor. They got me a counselor, which is really huge. There's still, neither of them had ever been to a counselor. No. You know, like, but they were like, you need help. And at first I was upset, I told my mom, like, you think I'm crazy. And I was crying and stuff. But eventually I went and my counselor crossed some major ethical boundaries. <laughs> and, um, started talking to me about her religious journey out of Mormonism. And she was, so she gave me a hint. She's like, you should look up Mason's Masonry Joseph Smith. And I was like, okay. And that's when I was 16. So um, Mormons are really, really warned about seeking any information outside of the church.
0: Well, yeah. Can we just,
2: that touch to be on really that
0: because with yeah uh, with your therapist it sounds like your therapist had left the church
2: she was in the process currently.
0: okay because i was going to say yeah. why would your mom give like i guess well, a few questions well. there professional curiosity like what is the stigma about seeking help as a mormon is that like is there something there like don't don't go to therapist unless they're mormon therapists or
2: oh um well no i mean kind of there are mormon therapists like the church has a family services place and
0: well a lot of religions like to keep it within the religion you know like if you need help go to the church
2: um but i just mean like in general i think that there's a um mental health seeking a therapist stigma in general okay like people kind of view you as crazy and and stuff like that but my mom had no clue what this therapist was telling me and even now when i mention it like it makes her so mad you know which i can totally understand but um but yeah it was not like now looking back cuz i have a degree in social work and now looking back i'm like okay i can see where this woman was coming from yeah like you think about the teenager who shows up to you and is like experiencing everything i was experiencing obviously she's looking at me going this kid's got to get out of this church and i know some stuff So I should share it with her. And when I look at it, I'm like, but from a professional standpoint, like sharing your own religious journey with a teenager is not a good, good look. Like, I'm like, that is, that's kind of sketch. But yeah, she pointed me in the direction. And so I did, I started reading unapproved material when I was 16. And that line of research went on for years and years but it's not like i was suddenly also not reading church approved things like i was completely i i believed it yeah for sure and and so i was doing all the stuff mormons are supposed to do to get the right answers and um yeah praying and trying to make sense of it and it never ever crossed, it didn't cross my mind for a long, long time that maybe the things that I had been taught were lies. It never crossed my mind. It was like, um, it was just a deficiency on my part. Yeah. It just fed into my self-hate, right? Like there's something wrong with me because I have these questions because I can't accept these answers, because whatever. And so I would swing back and forth between hating myself or being mad at God for making me the way he made me. And being like, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you create my brain like this? Yeah. That was a really it's jerk true. move, God, because I'm screwed up. And there was a lot of intense self-hate and and some self-harm. I got into like self-harm behavior. Um cutting didn't do it for me. I tried it, but I didn't like it. But um but sometimes I would like hit myself. Yeah. until I just couldn't take it anymore. Like I, I hated myself because I could not fit in this Mormon box. That's why.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and all, yeah. all these expectations and these check boxes that you were unable to check
2: right but ironically on the outside it totally looked like i was like i looked like the perfect mormon girl Yeah. like on the outside you know and i was doing all the things that i was supposed to be doing that are supposed to fix everything and lead to it all you know i was i read my scriptures Every day. I said prayer twice a day. I always went to church. I always volunteered. Like all of the big, huge Mormon lists, and they have a massive list of behaviors. I was doing all that stuff. You know, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink coffee. I didn't swear. I didn't have sex. I, you know, like I was a very, very good Mormon girl who was absolutely sunk in self-hate.
0: So where does that take you? You said you went to a small mormon college
2: yeah um it's not i mean it's not the smallest i went to brigham young university idaho oh, okay. so um that's that's where it took me you know so like i graduated high school i went to byu idaho um and yeah that's i don't know where do you want to go from What's
0: there? well what's the timeline with when you meet your husband and when you stop um having, a, any sort of relationship with your trans friend?
2: Um, so I was still in and out of talking to my trans friend and I met my husband at school. It took me six years to get my bachelor's degree because I was so I can depressed. Relate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so depressed that I really, really struggled. Yeah, um, I almost got kicked out of school for it. Like,
0: So you didn't find any solace at, at school and like in college outside of, were you still being bullied at college?
2: Um, yeah, a little bit, but it was not like, it, it was not, so the bullying in college was more like, at first I just had roommates who totally did not understand me or what I was going through. And then I was still being bullied. I had a, I call her my frenemy. <laughs> I had a kind of a frenemy growing up that she was supposed to be my friend, but she was pretty crappy and she was still doing things. So like when I would go home and visit, yeah. I was still getting treated poorly there. Um, but like in college, I did not find like, not... At first, I didn't find, like, good friends right away. Like, they just didn't know what to do with me because I was so depressed. College was the absolute, like, year 19. When I was 19 years old, that was the lowest of the low. Like, I was not getting out of bed for days on end sometimes, not leaving the apartment, not stepping outside the door for more than a week. I was suicidal. But I didn't ever try to kill myself because... I believed that my problem was with God, and if I killed myself, then all I would do is put myself on God's doorstep, and I was like, I don't want to do that, so I just remember feeling like that I wished that I could just kill my soul, like that I wished that I could just cease to exist, but that I didn't believe I could do that, and I was like, all that's going to happen is if I kill myself, I'll just be like, well, hey, here I am, have to face up to god immediately right um
0: you were really hurting
2: yeah oh i was miserable yeah miserable and and being at byu idaho was like a pressure cooker because there are rules at byu idaho that are even more intense than what most mormons have to abide by like
1: in what way so Mm
2: -hmm. like um they're not allowed to wear shorts on campus not allowed to wear um I think back then you couldn't wear flip-flops, you couldn't wear capris. Like I had to be in the apartment by 11. And, and these are college students. So that's one thing that I'm like, yeah, my 20s was not like the vast majority of American 20s college experience because I lived in a college that literally controlled everything. Yeah. And I had an earlier curfew as a college student than I did as a high schooler with my parents. So it was just really contained and things like that. And like boys weren't allowed um, past this certain, they called it the chastity line in your apartment. Like, so if you had a boy over, they had to stay in the kitchen or the living room. They weren't even supposed to go use your bathroom. Like, because you can't let them down the halls past the chastity line. Like things like that, that are so much more intense. Like most Mormons don't have, I don't know anybody who has a chastity line in their house. You know, like uh just not like that. So but I just and I was really struggling, struggling to and I struggled with church like like going to church was painful. I because everything I heard to me was just this lesson on how I was not measuring up. Yeah. And so I hated going to church.
0: It's a tactic. I mean, that's Yeah. It's a proven yeah. tactic so, to break it was people like down. i would
2: sometimes not go and then my roommates were like you have to go and and so the bullying it, it was like that like it wasn't great but then I, I did end up getting some better roommates later and then i met um and i met my husband and uh i met him and two weeks later we decided to date exclusively Nice. Six weeks after marrying him, we got engaged. And six, six weeks after, after
0: dating him, you got. Sorry, engaged. not after marrying. It's <laughs> like after you got engaged him. after you got married. How is that possible?
2: No, no, no. Six weeks after meeting him. Sorry, I misspoke. Wow. Six weeks after meeting him, we got engaged, and then after meeting him, I met him in January, and we got married that July. So
0: is the, we is were there?
2: Super fast.
0: I I have I have. This is. I'm just and I'm thinking of like my own self as a teenager and I think if it's no sex until marriage and I know that's with a lot of religions but like I'd be like all right how soon can I get married (laughs) because I gotta get this done um and I'm wondering in a college setting at 1920 like for either of you what role that played because that's
2: yeah yeah there's got to be a hormonal
0: Um, role there to
2: (laughs) yeah for sure well I think Mormons believe in um short engagements okay for sure because of that because it's like you don't want to mess up yeah you don't want to screw up and then and then if you mess up and and you have sex, then you're not like worthy to enter the temple, and then you can't get married forever, and there's a whole bunch of that. So yeah, Rainey, so I was you, with my
0: wife for six years before we got engaged, and then we were engaged for two years. So.
2: Yeah, and and it's very like your side of the story is so much more common now. Yeah, especially now. So many people. Yeah. But yeah, in Mormonism, it's like once you meet that person and you're like, hey, I don't think I want to marry you. It's like, okay, you better get married quick. Yeah. So that yeah. you don't screw things up. <laughs> Um, but it worked out. We've been married 13 years now. Congrats. And I'm, I'm super, super happy. Um, and it's it's been a wild ride. But not to get off on a tangent. So I met him. And then we got married really quick. And then I did years and years of therapy. And and really, it was always in therapy talking about the church or talking about this relationship that when I, that I had. That I was like, what do I even do with this? And eventually I did um, EMDR. Do you know what that is?
0: Love, love, love EMDR. I have worked through some shit with EMDR. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I'm curious what prompted you to, was this just a continuation of the therapy you started as a teenager or was this, you got back into it?
2: I was in and out of therapy. Okay. Always. Did like you just, forever. by Since choice, you me. just liked it? yeah i felt like it helped yeah i felt like it really really helped and so pretty much like about every other year i was like i'm really struggling i need to see a therapist again that is the mindset we all need need (laughs) yes for real for real but um i got to this point where and i'd had two kids by by then that i just was struggling so much and i was really struggling to take care of the kids and i had a friend who was a therapist who was like hey so there's this thing for trauma And she's like, what you're experiencing sounds a lot like a trauma response. And she's like, there's this thing called EMDR. And this was nine years ago, 10 years ago. So it was still in its infancy, really. And she's like, it's kind of um, controversial. She's like, some people believe in it. Some people don't. And she's like, but hey, you should find it and try, you know. And I truly thought that this crap and everything that happened with this person and how I felt and all my like, I thought it was something I was going to have to like bring to Jesus that it would always bother me for my whole life. And that I wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And then it would haunt me. And it really did haunt me. And, um, but then she's like, try MDR. So I went and I tried it and yeah, life changing. It was wild. It just was, it was like, I suddenly like now like I can talk about it and and I don't have flashbacks and I used to have like PTSD style flashbacks sometimes of some of the things that happened and some of the things that were said to me um, but it it was so healing right? yeah, I know. but the thing, the thing that bothered me the most though was even with this therapist who especially um, trained in the MDR was that I would always switch between like trying to figure out what happened. And at first looking at this relationship with this trans person, I felt like I was the bad guy. I was a terrible person. I abandoned blah, blah, blah. Eventually I figured out that all of those things about, um, uh, the schizophrenia stuff was just lies. And I figured that out through my degree in social work. Like, eventually I learned enough about mental illness and schizophrenia and things like that to realize it was all a lie and so then and so I moved from like I'm the bad guy to like oh we were both bad we both abused each other whatever to then moving with therapists help talking about it it was like oh this person was terrible to you this person was a terrible person, a bad person. This was an abuser. And that's what I was told, like, this was an abuser and and you're in denial. Even the person who was doing EMDR with me was like, you're in denial, so many abuse victims fall in love with their abuser and that's what happened to you and this person was awful. And it just didn't feel true. Like, I just was like, okay, yeah, they lied to me. They said some pretty crappy stuff but it just doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel like they're this monster. It just feels like they're this person who was really hurting. And so I decided that I needed some closure and I was gonna reach out. And um, one of, and it'd been years, it'd been years because I was married, had by then.
0: Can I ask like, um, do those two things have to be mutually exclusive can someone be essentially a monster but also be hurting a lot like are maybe or can't they oh, be the sure. monster because they're hurting a lot
2: oh no for sure and which is where I'm at now in life like hurt people hurt people yeah, yeah that's that's how it happens but at the time that's what I'm saying like it was being presented to me as this dichotomy and I couldn't my I couldn't wrap my brain around that yeah, yeah. It couldn't be like, wait, do they have to be some monster? And I was like, I just have to talk to this person. So uh, through my Mormon connections, I end up finding, and by this time he transitioned. So this is where I like switch pronouns to he getting his phone number and calling him and being like, can we just talk? And he called me back and we did. And that's why I feel like this story is so amazing because there was so much pain and so much um, mutual hurt, but I was able to call and and I said to him, I was like, my relationship with you has haunted me my whole life. And he was like, well, I don't want that to be true, but same, <laughs> And and I was like, so do you remember the things you said to me? Do you remember the things you told me? Yeah. And he was like, no. I'm sorry I really don't I know that I said some pretty shitty things to you I know that I did some pretty shitty things but I don't remember what they were and then he was willing to listen to me recount the crap stuff that that he'd said and done to manipulate me and then I but then also I was able to like talk to him about why I did some of the things that I did that were hurtful because he pointed out, he's like, it was really hard to have a girlfriend who was just openly cheating on me. And I was like, what? Like, cause I hadn't seen it that way. Yeah. And so I was able to see his side more. And there was a moment where he was like, this is too triggering. I have to get off the phone. I can handle this. And I was like, please just put this to bed. Like, please just put this to bed with me. Just listen. I'm not trying to hurt you. Just listen. And he did. And We talked about it. We talked through, we saw each other's side, we apologized for the pain and then like wished each other well. And that was it.
0: Some nice closure. So
2: yeah. And I recognize that most people don't get that. Like that is so rare. That is so rare, but that's, I got this really great closure and then have since been able to just look at it and be like, we were both 15 years old. Like we were so young. Yeah. And we were so stuck in this Mormon world that was teaching us all this stuff. Like, But it is kind of ironic, because I do remember during that conversation, he said to me, surely you know, like he had left long before me, okay. obviously. And he's like, surely you know by now it's not true. And I remember, I didn't say anything, I just kind of brushed it off, but I was thinking. And at that point, I was in this place where I was like, well, it could be still, maybe. Like, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but maybe, but I didn't say that, I but I just remember thinking, uh, well, it might be, hmm. yeah. but that's how that intersection happened, with the, like meeting my husband, and then this relationship, and
0: all of that. Was leaving the church, um, was that s- just completely gradual, or was there like a one moment where you're like, oh, I'm not in this anymore? Like you knew or was it just you woke up one day and you're like oh I guess I'm just not
2: no for me it was really gradual I know that most people like everybody has their different stories and lots of people will talk about like um, there's a phrase in Mormonism like put it on a shelf like they'll talk a lot about um, I mean if you watch the Book of Mormon musical they even have a song about it like
0: it's a great musical
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's a song about like put it on a shelf and Uh, Turn it off like a light switch. And yeah, that is just so those phrases are actually used, right? And so people will talk about like, what was your shelf breaker or things like that. But for me, it was just literally years and years and years of research and struggle and like finally seeing like little by little, just seeing like, oh, so many lies. like it is lies like the the version of church history that I was given and taught to me is just not true it's not the full version it's the completely whitewashed version it there's there's different things that happened and really it's sad because like it's wild stories the real version of church history is way more interesting than the version they're teaching in church. Like it's fascinating, but um, there's that. And then I was learning about current practices of the church, things they do with their money, like with their tithing donations. That is not what, like, I had no clue that the church built some massive mall with tithing donations, (laughs) like, you know, like things like that. And, and, and like, I was taught we're out here like taking care of the poor and then I learned that there's members of the church who are starving to death and like there's just there it it just is little by little for me it was like little by little it's like oh that's a lie that's a lie that's a lie that's a lie everything and then I had this spiritual side of it where I'm always praying I'm always trying to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And the answers aren't adding up. And then I had um, a very strong belief in Christ, very strong faith in Christ. And I was like, this church, what they're doing behind the scenes is not Christ-like. It's not Christian behavior at all. And so there was also became this kind of like moral question to myself of like, am I going to keep doing this? And so it was just, it was just really, um, really gradual. And eventually I just was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I have to allow myself to explore, but I feel like, and I had some moments with prayer that were pretty, well, one, especially that was really monumental for me that I felt. And then I was reading like the New Testament for the first time, word for word. And and I just felt like my faith in Christ was not fitting with this Mormon world. Yeah. And I wanted to step out and experience other Christian churches to see if I could find this Christ that I felt like didn't fit at all. What Did I had find been it? Thought. Uh Sadly, no. <laughs> so wh- I, I guess I really where... Didn't...
0: Today, where do you stand religiously?
2: So um, I left the church about six years ago, five, no, five, five years ago. My husband was still in. We did mixed faith marriage thing for four years, which was pretty challenging. Um, but we did learn how to talk about it because I told him, I looked at it and I was like, we're not going to make it if we don't learn how to talk about this. Because. Yeah it's and it's so common for mormon marriages to dissolve when one partner leaves and um which is a whole other story but i just told him i was like i want to start going to these other christian churches i want to start seeing if i can find a home but what i found um was that it was just so there was so much about mainstream Christianity that was similar to Mormonism that didn't work for me. And it wasn't doctrinal, (laughs) because Mormons, it blows Mormons minds that people think they're not Christians, by the way, totally blows their minds, they do not understand it. And it's wild for me to be able to remember feeling that way and being like, why don't people get that Mormons are Christians, I totally get it we are. And then also to learn about mainstream Christianity for long enough to go, Whoa. And I still remember when that clicked in that I was like, this is why they don't think that Mormons are Christians. Yeah. Um, So doctrinally it wasn't the same, but what was the same was the, the black and white thinking and the attitudes and the closed mindedness and coming from this background where I have this See, my relationship with that, with my trans friend, like, shaped me in a big way. Because I was like, that's just a soul. It's just a soul in a body. And I can love that soul, regardless of what they think about their body. Yeah. and And so that really shaped a lot of, like, I wanted to find a home that, I felt like um, a a spiritual home, I mean, like in a church that I felt like taught love and grace and whatever, but I couldn't find it. Every church I went to, it was still rules. It was still like, it was like, yeah, you talk about Christ and his grace and whatever, but you're still teaching. This is what it means to be a good Christian. And if you're not this, then you're not going to make it. I'm curious,
0: hell. were you looking for, or rather, I guess I'll phrase it this way. It sounds like you were looking for a religion to match your beliefs instead of
1: mm-hmm.
0: trying to match your beliefs to a religion. Does that make sense? Like you were oh, like,
1: yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I was like, yeah. I don't know when I said it out loud. I was like, I think that's what I was trying to say, <laughs> but
1: because yeah, you no, were like, I, I, I want
0: something that checks these boxes for what i think Mm -hmm. is like true and right and and you couldn't find that instead of yeah and i I
2: couldn't find it yeah yeah and i tell i feel like now um i tell people and i did what i ended up finding was like i would find that like oh i love the vibe of this church like i love the the people are nice and i love the music and i love the free donuts and i love whatever (laughs) but like you were at an
0: aa meeting it wasn't a church
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was like the teaching didn't fit, right? Like yeah. it was like, oh, I can't, I can't take my kids to a place where they're going to teach that Mormons aren't Christians and are going to hell. Their whole family's still Christian, like, yeah. or still Mormon, excuse me. And but then I would find like a church that was more. I did find one church that I really loved their message, but they're Lutheran, and it was so structured, cons- like similar to Catholicism, that it was just too much for me because Mormons like day to day is very un um it's not it's like you just go and talk and you're in your church clothes but there's nobody like dressed in robes there's no lighting candles you're not standing up sitting down all these things and it was just too much for me i was like oh I, this like so it was like too traditional too ceremonial, so i just never yeah. never could find a home and um yeah so now um i tell people that it's more like i feel like I'm I'm more of like a universalist, like I believe in God for sure, and I tell people that Christ is like my love language. Like, have you, you know, the love languages with relationships, yeah. and how different people feel love different ways. Yeah. That's how I see it. Is I feel like um, God speaks to people in whatever way is going to work for them, and it's very cliche but I'm much more spiritual than religious. And I feel like religion is man-made and it's man's way of trying to figure out this God thing. Yeah, And I just think God is love and God's gonna reach out however, through whatever will work. And for me, the story of Christ is like my love language. Like the idea of a God who comes down and, sacrifices himself for his people yeah. is beautiful. It's really beautiful. The idea of a God who comes down as a baby, as an infant, like that's just really gorgeous to me. The idea of grace of that, like it doesn't matter how you live or whatever. Like if you love, then you're covered because we all screw up so much. Like I often think of us as like, God is probably like, we're like toddlers in a sandbox, just like fighting over toys and throwing sand at each other. And God's like standing up there just watching, like, while we just fight. Yeah, badly. I often,
0: um, <laughs> I, I look at religion as, you know, the, consci- the conscious mind, like the human mind needs to explain things Mm -hmm. um and sometimes that takes you down the rabbit hole of like the theory of relativity (laughs) and you know there's all the greek philosophers and and um because we need to we need to know why things are and before we developed like significant like our sophisticated language and sciences you know we were worshiping the sun and then it was just it had. Then there was a number of gods, and a lot of some religions still incorporate that. And it's just like we need to explain things that you can't explain, and I think religion is the way to do that. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong, so long as you're not like using that as a tool of persecution against other people that don't see things the same way that you do. Um, and so, whatever you find that warmth and explanation and happiness and I mean more power to you uh as long as you're you know like I said not using it against other people because that's that's where it gets a little shady um
2: yeah can I shift so the lens will... oh I just want to tell you real quick wrap up what I do now
0: I, I that's I wanted to shift over because that intrigued me initially when you first reached out is you are a relationship coach
2: Mm-hmm. I would yeah. love to
0: know how that came to be and and how people can learn more about that?
2: Yeah, so um, like I said, I got my degree in social work, yeah. and just my life in general is what pushed me in that direction, and all the therapy I did, and the the just the journey, right, pushed me there. But then getting married, and I was twenty one, my husband was twenty three. We've been married th- thirteen years. We've got three kids, like. Marriage is such a journey, <laughs> and it yep. is, I, I love it. It's the most worthwhile thing in my mind. It's wonderful, and it's hard. It is really, really hard, and um, my husband and I, I'm really lucky. He's also a counselor, so um, I'm just lucky that I have somebody who's open to counseling, we did counseling as a couple, literally every other year we did couples therapy, um, for 10 years, the first 10 years of our relationship. And obviously I'm a big believer in therapy. That's actually what like intrigued me about your little profile on the 30 AM was at the bottom. It was like must love therapy. And I was like, and I was like, Hmm, I love therapy. (laughs) I wonder. So anyway, and, um, we've been through it like over 13 years and dealing with stuff and what we've learned through that is what really inspired me to do the coaching business for couples and for relationships was, was just, we learned an approach and it's called um, what I use, what I teach my clients is a mix of um Emotionally focused and I can't do therapy. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach Um, But I do use theories, right? There are these like everybody knows who Freud is I don't use his theories, but it's other guys (laughs) similar to that like the same idea, right? Um, Dr. Sue Johnson really pioneered this emotionally focused therapy and it is amazing and it's based on attachment theory and So I teach skills that are a combination of that and like Dr. John Gottman's approach. And I use a lot of Brene Brown's research and just things like that. But I just, that's where it came from is I was just like, really relationships are all we have. We are relational species. That's what we're living in. And um, you don't have to be married. work with me you just have to be in a committed relationship it has to be committed but um i was like people need this i believe in it so much in this approach and how it works and i've used it and i've seen where my marriage has been what we've come through and i know it works and i just i love people i just want to help people and if I can help people create the kind of relationship that brings happiness into their life and stability and stability for their kids, like that is everything I want to do. It's, it's the best gift that I could possibly give anyone. So yeah, I decided to start my own business and do the coaching thing. And, and the online coaching part of it um, was really just, practicality. Like I'm a mom, I've got three kids. So it was like, (laughs) why do this over going back to school, becoming a counselor? Well, because this I can do online and I can plug it in around my kids' lives.
0: I wonder how, oh, I don't wonder. I just, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's very healing for little Rainey to be able to work with people that are in relationships and help make those relationships better as someone that, that had such trauma issues with relationships as a child.
2: For sure. And the, and the thing the other thing is like um I work with I'll work with anybody any beliefs um but I do obviously have a specific set of knowledge when it comes to Mormonism. So I thought you were about to give a Liam
3: Neeson thing. I have a specific set of skills. When it comes
2: to- <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I do have that though. But so it's like I, I do have especially if I can help people yeah. who um have left a high demand of religion, I know what that's like. And then with Mormonism specifically, there's so much specific jargon and specific like contextual information. And I've seen therapists who aren't Mormon in the past and sometimes it was hard because I would feel like I would spend I would spend most of my time explaining the beliefs so that they could understand where I was coming from.
0: Yeah, we actually talk about that, that in, in school and how, like, learn about your clients so they don't have to do that. Because that's the session should not be them explaining their beliefs to you, uh, like, if you can just go read a book and find out. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and it's a big deal because it's it's so unique. Mormonism is so unique. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so while I do work with anybody and everybody, that is definitely like I can niche down really easy to that and get right to it. And then especially if you have couples that are in a mixed faith situation where you have one that's in and one that's out, my husband and I did that for four years. Yeah. So I know what that's like. Um, yeah, and people can find me um, – I have a website, it's rainyshaycoaching. and then um, they can find me on Facebook at rainyshay, and I'm pretty accessible. You yeah,
0: know, we'll put the website in the show notes. People can find out even more about you. I mean, I I could talk to you for another three hours. We didn't even talk about being a mom or like a billion other things. But, but um, well, you'll you'll have to come back.
2: back. Like, I have a list. Yeah. I have a long list of topics that we could talk about. We could talk for a long time.
0: You'll have to come back. We'll do. You asked if I do second episodes and I'm starting to, so you'll have to you'll have to make your way back here.
2: Yes, I would love it. I would love it. It's been fun.
0: Yeah, it's been great. Well, thank you so much for taking time this evening and for being patient with me. You
1: and I have lots in common. My request is, sent. would you like to be my friend?
0: You like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with rainy Shay. I, uh, I really do. I know we mentioned it at the end of there, but I really do want to do a part two. We didn't get into so many things. Uh, this is the problem when I go off on tangents and people entertain my tangents, <laughs> we can talk forever. Uh, if you guys like what you hear and you want to hear more, keep listening to episodes. I don't know where I was going with that. I wanted to mention the Patreon because uh, I'm I'm doing some idea mining. I would love to know what you guys want to see. If you're currently a Patreon subscriber, there is a little, uh, the last post up there is asking for your input. What do you guys want to see, hear, touch, taste, feel? Um, and if you're not currently a Patreon subscriber and there is stuff that you would like, whether that be behind the scenes content or unedited episodes or, uh, feet picks. I think that was offered up, um, whatever it is you guys want from your Patreon subscribership. Is that a thing? Head over to patreon.com slash friend request pod and let me know. All right. I will talk to you guys next week. We got quite a doozy next week. All right. I will. Okay. 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 Goodbye. Have a good day. Have a good week. Have a good life.